0: Good morning. Today's scripture passage comes from 1 Peter 5, verses 1 through 7. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that, all, so that at the p- proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The Apostle Peter uh, wrote that letter to uh, Christians living in Asia Minor, near the end of his life, actually, many years after he had spent uh, time with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter gives us today guidance, critical guidance for another critical phase of our history as a new church ordaining our first leaders and that's what this series has been all about so let me ask you a question as be, as we begin if you've been following with us over the last four weeks and even just if, if you're you've been out there in the world living life in the world uh, you may have insight as well what are some of the good marks of leadership okay. we all have plenty to say about poor leaders but uh, how about good leaders what are the marks of what are some of the marks of a good leader? What do you think? Graham. A willingness to serve others. To serve others. Excellent. Caitlin. Ooh, I like that too. Listening, yeah, because you learn a lot by listening. Well said. Yeah. Empathy, yes. Being able to being able to enter into another person's hurt. What else? Yeah. Genuine enthusiasm for the cause. Ooh, genuine enthusiasm for the cause. Great. It is hard to follow someone who's depressed about what they're doing. <laughs> it's a challenge. Yes, Diane. Ooh, decisiveness. Okay. Bob. Love. Love for those they lead. Yeah yeah called by the holy spirit yeah actually if you uh if you look into our um into our our denomination's doctrine uh you'll discover this principle that if someone is called to lead there must be an inward call which is the spirit of god convincing the individual that he's called to lead his pe- the people but also an outward call meaning the church needs to also recognize that call so you mentioned the inward call excellent yeah Okay, so so uh, all of these things balanced with vision and creativity, well said. Uh, was there a hand over here? There was over, yeah. Wisdom and experience. Wisdom, experience. Wisdom and experience. Proximity. Uh, can you elaborate on proximity? Oh, proximity as in the leader spends time with those he leads. Nurturing them, Nurture, proximity, have to be with the people. Excellent, excellent. Yeah. Leading ah, leading by example versus dictating. Well said. And another, yeah. Patience. patience. Yes, patience. 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 <laughs> patience. <laughs> Was there another hand? Okay. Okay, really great answers. You've been listening for the last month, or you've been, you've been living your life in the world with your eyes open. Uh, maybe both. I'd like to think both. Yeah, so over the last four weeks, we, and, and you really have summarized this very well, over the last four weeks, we have seen that a servant's heart is of ultimate importance for a leader, according to biblical wisdom, but also that a leader is to exemplify the Christian life. We've seen how elders uh, are called to reflect Jesus's shepherd's heart. We saw how deacons are called to reflect Jesus's servant's heart. We also looked at how leaders must enable, leaders in the church especially, must enable everyone, men and women, to use their gifts and to serve with all that God has equipped. With with all that God has equipped them. But I want to share one more quality uh, before we move on. We're going to focus on it for the next two Sundays. Humility. Humble leaders provide an environment in a church that allows it to grow in a healthy way. Humble leaders nurture a healthy church. And I want to talk to you about how leaders can walk in humility and how followers can walk in humility and why it's so important that we have both dynamics. Leaders who walk in humility and followers who walk in humility and why we really need both to be a healthy church. So how do leaders lead according to what Peter is saying in 1 Peter chapter 5? Well, if you look at verse 6, he says, humble yourselves. And actually, Peter, right here before our eyes, as we, we look at what he wrote 2,000 years ago, is demonstrating this humility. Look at verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, see what Peter's he's doing more than one thing. First of all, he's very subtly reminding them of his office as not just an elder, an apostle. He's kind of a leader in the church in a very unique, special way. Because he's saying he's a witness of the sufferings of Christ. He saw Jesus. He lived with Jesus. He learned from Jesus. He ate with Jesus. He denied Jesus. He was forgiven by Jesus. He, he saw the risen Jesus. So he's kind of laying it out there. Hey, I'm an apostle. And none of us can claim that. No elder can claim that he's an apostle. In the way that Peter could. And the the other apostles. But he does something more than that. He also appeals to the elders he's talking to as equals. Equals in Christ. Actually he he calls himself a fellow elder. And he calls himself a partaker. Partaker with them. In the glory that's going to be revealed. So he really is. He's also as an apostle coming alongside of them. As a fellow elder, and that's a mark of humble leadership, finding common ground with the people you lead, common ground. Meriwether Lewis and William Clark have been studied for the last two centuries uh, because of their approach to leading the core of discovery uh, out west. And actually there was one one critical moment on the journey, on the expedition, because they were like the astronauts of their day, that group. And there was one critical, critical moment where they decided they wouldn't move forward without putting it to a vote. First time they did it in the entire enterprise. And they gave every man on that core of discovery an equal share in the decision. They all voted. Now check this out. Sacagawea, who is not only a woman, but a Native American, was also given the opportunity to vote. And now William Clark was a slaveholder. He brought his slave York along on the expedition with him. York proved to be indispensable to the core of discovery. And York, in that moment, even though he would have to go back into an America that hadn't yet abolished slavery after the expedition, in that moment, York had equal share of the decision and voted. And so um, what you saw Lewis and Clark doing there is they were still leading. They were still very much in charge. But they came alongside of those they were leading. And they became equal shareholders in the decision. So via this concept of establishing common ground with the people you lead, people are more willing, willing to follow you. They will follow you willingly because you're leading by example. And speaking of leading by example, that's exactly what Peter's highlighting here. He really is saying that the purpose of leadership is to be an example, to exemplify those admirable traits and the people that are following you. Look at verse 3. He reminds them that, that they're not to lead in a greedy way or under compulsion, but he says not Domineering over those in charge of you. I really I would bet he remembered Jesus' words when he said, You know how people in the world lead, how the Romans lead, they lord their authority over one another. You're not gonna do that. You're gonna serve one another. That's how you become great in my kingdom. You serve. You don't dominate, you serve. And so he goes on to say, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So if you think back at first on first Timothy chapter three. And Titus chapter 1, where Paul laid out qualifications for leaders in the church. What is so remarkable? You may remember hearing this. What's so remarkable about the New Testament's qualifications for leaders? What's so remarkable about the qualifications? They're unremarkable. Except, Except for the ability and the responsibility of an elder to teach God's truth. All the qualities for leadership, they're all unremarkable. It's what every Christian should be doing. It's what every Christian should be attaining to and, ex- and, and, and portraying in our lifestyle and his lifestyle. Basic Christian character. Don't make the mistake as a church, and you've already heard me say this, but I can't say it enough. Don't make the mistake of nominating men to elder and deacon because they are successful in their career. Don't do it. Big mistake. Big mistake. The sign of a ready leader in Christ's church is exemplary Christian character. Consider what the author of Hebrews said. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So the mark of Christian leadership is humility humility exemplified is a leader's calling in the church. Okay? Now, what about everybody else? What about most of the people in this room who will not be leading, but have to, those of us who have to follow? How do you follow? How does everyone else follow? Again, look at verse 6. Peter says, humble yourselves. And if you go back to verse 5, Likewise, Peter writes, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. What does he mean by those of you who are younger? Is he talking about teenagers? Only teenagers? Is he talking about millennials? (laughs) Only millennials? Uh, No, actually, most scholars say if you look at the context of what he's saying, he's really describing everybody else. He's telling the elders how to lead in humility, exemplary Christian lives. And then he's saying everybody else be subject to them. Again, Hebrews chapter 13 says, obey your leaders and submit to them. Obey what? If they tell you to go get a cup of coffee, you go and get them a cup of coffee. If they tell you to bow down to them or to adopt their political perspective or their social agenda, no. No. Obey the word of God that comes from their mouth and from their ministry. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. See, your leaders are accountable too. They have to submit themselves also. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Now, if you read Peter's letter and we looked at it a couple of years ago, if about a year and a half ago. If you read Peter's letter, you will discover his overarching concern, his overarching application to the church is that they be a light in a dark world. He wants the church, as aliens and strangers on this planet, to be a light in the darkness. And he he offers many applications for how the church can be a light. And here's one of them. He wants the church to be a light as we submit one to another. Look at verse 5 clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And since Peter is using that type of language, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, we can deduce that Peter believed what distinguishes the church from the culture is mutual submission. Because the world doesn't behave that way. People in the world, I mean, they would, Peter was, look, was thinking about the Romans, uh, we can just look at our own political situation and look at the world around us. People in our world, they don't submit willingly to one another. They coerce one another. They force one another to submit. And they resist submitting to one another. You've seen it. But Peter says the way the church is a light is through mutual submission. And, and he applies that to, to our homes, to our economic social status, to, to our relationship, our political relationship with those who are in civil authority over us. He, he, he applies this concept of mutual submission across the board. And here he's saying inside the church too. Not just in your house, not just where you work, not just politically, but in the church. Mutual submission. That's how we're a light. So a sign of humility, a sign of your humility is your willingness to submit to others in the church. And a sign of a humble leader is his willingness to submit to other leaders. So when I take a vow, as a pastor in the Presbyterian Church of America, uh, I'm not just vowing to shepherd a congregation. I'm also vowing to, and you need to know this, I am vowing to submit to my brothers in the Lord. Other elders on our elder board and and other elders in, in the rest of our churches. We're all submitting in some way to someone. Now, how does a church nurture this? How do we cultivate this so that it's in our DNA? Knowing we're not perfect and we're not going to be the perfect organization and we're not going to be the perfect local church. but, But how do we get this in our DNA? Part of our culture. A culture of humility. Well, I think if you read what Peter is saying... One practical way is we have to put off our pride. We have to disrobe ourselves of these garments that we've woven over the course of our lives. As we've lived in the real world and been burned and hurt and disenfranchised and sometimes oppressed. Um, We've woven these garments of pride to protect ourselves and to get our way. We have to disrobe ourselves of these old garments of pride. Look at verse six again. He says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Let me tell you a story. It's actually not my story. It's Walter Kaiser's story. He was an Old Testament scholar who was the president of my seminary. And he told us this story about his home church in the in the North Midwest when he was a little boy he would go to the weekly men's prayer meeting at the church building with his dad. And he was a little boy, and he remembers every week going to church with his dad and being, in this, being with this group of men, and they were all praying. And he said he remembered one man because he would always pray the same prayer every week. And it was this, Lord, make me humble. Make me humble, Lord. And, and the man prayed this every week. A lot, right? So one week, the man prayed the same prayer, Lord, make me humble. And then another man spoke up and replied and said, brother, humble yourself. (laughs) Humble yourself, brother. And I haven't forgotten that. And this is the lesson I, I took away from that. Don't wait for God to humble you. Humble yourself. Now, it's true that God disciplines the people he loves. As a loving father, he disciplines his sons and his daughters. So when he humbles you, it's a good thing, but it's a painful thing. So if you don't have to, don't wait for God to humble you. You humble yourself now. And Peter's giving you the way how. You don't think you're prideful? This is what C.S. Lewis has to say about that. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. To acquire humility, Lewis wrote, the first step is to realize that you're proud. Nothing whatever can be done before it. Let me, let me ask you this question from another angle. Because maybe you're saying, no, I'm not really a, I'm not really a proud person. Well, let me let me take it from this vantage point um are you worried do you have anxiety when you think about leadership and these horrible offensive words submit to one another uh does that make you nervous because he says in verse seven how do we apply this concept of submitting to one another and and um Submitting to God's mighty hand, he says, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So let's look at that word anxiety because Jesus used that word in the parable of the sower. You know, the word of God is like a seed and you sow it. And and sometimes the seed germinates and sprouts and bears fruit. And sometimes it doesn't. It dies. And Jesus said one of the reasons it dies is because the people who receive it, he says, the worries of this life. The worries of this life prevent them from embracing God's truth. It's the same word, anxiety. See, the worries of this life, the things that the world tells you are important, the things you have to be afraid of, the things you have to fight for, the things you may not give up, are the That's what Paul's talking, that's what Peter's talking about. You you give those things to God. You give those types of worries. Those types of anxieties, the fear of being dominated, the fear of losing dominance and significance, you give that fear up to God. Now, here's the thing. If giving your anxieties over to God, if throwing them on Jesus, laying your anxieties on his feet, releasing them, if that, if Peter is equating that with humbling yourself, well then holding on to these anxieties means you remain prideful. Carol Ruvolo wrote a very helpful devotional commentary on 1 Peter. And when she comments on this section, she said pride is the root of anxiety. If you're scared, somewhere underneath the fear is pride. Because pride refuses... Pride refuses to trust that if you submit to another person, God will still take care of you. Pride says no. If I submit... I'm on my own. If I submit, I give everything up and no one's going to defend me, not even God. But now it's all up to you, isn't it? Now you've got to lead on your own in fear or you've got to follow or submit to somebody else in fear. And that's why we have conflict. Because those who lead and those who follow are afraid to follow or afraid of not being followed. And so we have conflicts. Now, look, I know, I want to be sensitive. I know it is very difficult, and it sounds terrible, the idea of submitting ourselves to leaders who are unjust and incompetent. Because we see that all the time. I get it. I agree. However, think about this. Let's be honest. Isn't it hard for us to even submit to competent leaders? Isn't it true that we don't even want to submit to just leaders? We just want to do what we want to do. In our pride, we think that we can't afford to be humble. That's kind of what we catch by relational osmosis as we grow up in this world. Um, We can't afford to be humble. We can't afford to be meek, to surrender ourselves. As Ed said earlier, to consider somebody else's interests above our own interests. We can't afford to do that. Because maybe we'll get manipulated or coerced or oppressed. Maybe we'll be forgotten or misunderstood. Maybe someone will get hurt. Maybe it will be us. Maybe we'll just be mediocre, average people, not great, not remembered. If we submit, if we're humble. But according to Peter... In verse 5, the real problem is this. You actually can't afford to be proud. That's the real problem. He says you can't afford to be proud. Why? He says God opposes the proud. Think of the creator of the universe saying to you, I am against you. That's what Peter warns against. You have heard from Hebrews 11, if you're a Christian and you've read the New Testament, you have heard these words, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But I would say, without humility, it is impossible to live by faith. Because faith is trusting him. Unconditionally, regardless of the situation, regardless of the relationship, faith is trusting him. But leading And following in humility, mutually, that's the way of grace. That's different. He he says God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 5. Leaders and followers um, who walk in humility, that's the way of grace because it was Jesus' way. As we read earlier in Philippians chapter 2. The way of humility was the way of Jesus. The night he was betrayed by Judas when he was in that upper room celebrating the Passover with Peter and the others. Peter remembered this. I can see Peter running all of these experiences and memories through his mind as he wrote this letter. What a perspective. And Peter would have remembered that night when after dinner, Jesus did something that embarrassed Peter and scandalized Peter. Because in that day, superiors were always served by inferiors. But Jesus turned that on its head. After supper, Jesus took off his outer garment. He disrobed his outer garment and he tied it around his waist. And then he kneeled down like a servant. The rabbi kneeled down like a servant and began washing all of his disciples' feet, including Peter. Peter remembered this. And if you read John chapter 13, you will hear what Peter said. He was offended and embarrassed and ashamed. And he said to Jesus, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. In order to receive the grace of God, which is a gift, you must embrace Jesus's humility. Peter wasn't ready to let his Lord Be a humble man. He wanted Jesus to take the world by force. To dominate the Gentiles. And the religious leaders. And Jesus was revealing that was the last thing he was prepared to do at that moment. And it frightened Peter to death to see Jesus act like a servant. But Jesus said, man, you have no business with me if you don't let me do this to you. And that's what, that's what receiving the grace of God is. It's embracing the humility of Jesus. Who said in, in Matthew chapter 11, you've heard this, some of you. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and lowly in heart. The NIV translation says, NIV translation says humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. That's who Jesus is. And so at the end of the day, not at the beginning of the day, it seems counterintuitive. Nonetheless, I had to get to this point so that you would see this. Here's a definition of pride according to everything that Peter is saying and that Jesus showed Peter. Pride is willingness to associate with Christ's humility. Pride is refusing to admit that the God you worship humbled himself. And so you must also. But humility, according to Peter, humility is submitting yourself to Christ's authority. In every situation, in every relationship, in every conflict, in every dynamic or paradigm, always submitting yourself to Jesus's authority. But here's the thing. Jesus Humbled himself. You're submitting to a man who humbled himself. Who gave himself up. And so as your authority. He's telling you to do the same thing. To follow in his footsteps. And we know this from Philippians chapter 2. The reason we worship Jesus. Is because Jesus humbled himself. God exalted Jesus. Because Jesus debased himself. And you know what? If you humble yourself. God will exalt you also. The way up is down. So praise God, right? Praise God because Peter calls Jesus the chief shepherd. The chief shepherd is going to reward those who lead in humility and those who follow in humility. Praise God that our chief shepherd was a humble man, right? Look at our leaders in the world, in religion and in politics and in history and in your homes, And on the playground, look at our leaders, all right? Yeah, how's that working for you? Now, look at Jesus. Jesus was a humble man. Jesus had the right to dominate, and he gave it up. Only humility could separate a king from his throne. To pay a criminal's penalty. To be locked up instead of you. To be crucified instead of me. Only humility could do that. So humble leaders... And humble followers together nurture a healthy church. Christ's humility brought you grace. Okay, so now in humility receive it. Have you ever thought of it that way? Have you ever thought of being a Christian that way? Receive Christ's humility on your behalf. Maybe for the first time in your life, receive it right now. Receive it on these terms. And now you go. And you humble yourself. And you serve others. And you can do that because as you cast your fears, your anxieties and worries about what the consequences might be, as you cast those on Jesus, you will know by faith that he cares for you. And even as you submit yourself to people in the world, fallen human beings, Jesus is taking care of you. If we can submit to the chief shepherd, knowing how he is, then we can lead in humility and we can follow in humility and we can do it both leading and following without fear. How does that sound? Good. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are, our brains and hearts are full. Uh, we can only take so much of your word, it overwhelms us with its simple truth. Uh, We still struggle, Father, to embrace it uh, because we're embarrassed sometimes by Jesus. Lord, we want to be proud of him. We want to rejoice and boast in him, in his humility. We want to receive it. We want to receive your grace. And we want to be humble. And we want to serve one another. And we want to submit to one another in your strength. Give us as Christians, give us as a church, the capacity to do that. And if someone is here today and has not yet surrendered themselves to this humble Jesus, would you give them the grace to do just that? Amen.